Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley. And as always, whatever podcasting platform you are listening to us on, leave us a nice review. It's really all that we ask for, and it helps us out. So go ahead, do it. We'd appreciate it. Just leave a, a simple review. Tyler's awesome. The show's awesome. It's that easy. I'm not asking for war and peace in a comment section. So just knock it out. All right, we're going to start with some good news here on this program because I know they always say save the best news for last, but you never know if people are going to listen to the end of the podcast. So it sucks if all your good news is at the end and everyone gets so depressed leading up to the good news, they turn it off. So let's start with the good news. And that is lumber prices are dropping. This is great news for everybody in housing, whether you're a builder renovator, do-it-yourselfer, whatever it may be, this is good news. So, but first, first, got to roll things back, roll the clock back, go all the way back to May. <laughs> if you remember back in May, we talked about a piece by Connor Sen in Bloomberg, and he said, look to housing. That will be the indicator. He said, quote, housing is a good industry to study because it was one of the first to boom after the onset of the pandemic last spring. So it might be a leading indicator of what we'll see from other parts of the economy over the next several months. So basically what Sen's arguing is that that we're not so different than the rest of the economy. We're just sort of ahead of the curve. And so what happens to us will eventually happen to other areas of the economy. This is all, of course, a hypothesis, but it's not a bad one because we were one of the first parts of the economy to recover. Now, I also want to make a note Sen argued that in order for inflation to take hold, it required more than just an imbalance of supply and demand, which is what we've been seeing, right? This big imbalance. He says it also takes a behavioral change from both buyers and sellers in support of those higher prices. He also points out that neither builders nor sawmills seem to be acting in a way at the time that they believed inflated prices were here to stay. And we saw that, right? Sawmills were like, no, we're not going to increase capacity. It's like, wait, why not? You're making so much money. And then builders were like, no, we're not going to build right now. We're just going to wait, which led a lot of people, Connor Sen being one of them, to say, well, maybe they're not acting that way because they think that lumber prices are going to fall. And so now we're going to fast forward to June, June 21st to be exact. And Matt Phillips over at the New York Times reports that lumber costs have soared over this past year as many do-it-yourselfers spent stimulus checks to either start or complete projects at their homes. However, a month of declines is now showing that consumers aren't about to trigger runaway increases. So the renovation boom led to lumber futures surging to unprecedented heights peaking at more than $1,600 per thousand board feet in early May. I mean, that's crazy number considering what was it like 400 something pre-pandemic. So as with, well, most things, easy come, easy go. Now, nobody expects lumber prices to drop to that $400 number, as I mentioned, but lumber prices in the future markets are down big. In fact, they're down more than 45% from their peak, slipping below 1,000 for the first time in months. Now, what's causing this? Well, the same thing that caused the prices to go up is causing the prices to go down. 
Uh, Jan Hatzius, chief economist at Goldman Sachs, told the New York Times that, quote, many of the extreme price spikes we've seen in recent months are likely to reverse for Econ 101 reasons. So the tight supply chain, the big demand caused prices to go up. As supply chains open, we have more supply, demand somewhat drops off, prices are going to come back down to earth. And this is the argument that the Federal Reserve is making about the overall economy and why they're not concerned about runaway inflation, saying that painful price spikes for everything from airline tickets to used cars will abate as the economy gets back to normal. Now, this recent data, because of course we're talking about markets here and for all we know, lumber prices could skyrocket tomorrow or even today. Um, This isn't to say that everyone's correct. We're talking about a lot of smart people, but once again, we're talking about markets. if, If markets were an easy thing to predict, then you wouldn't be seeing people losing a ton of money on Wall Street every single day. Now, Michael Strain, who uh, works over at the American Enterprise Institute, I had him on the radio show a couple of times, very smart guy, echoed this state or statement, this sentiment that it's really just too early to tell. He told the New York Times that, quote, the question instead is whether or not the existence of these one-off factors kind of one after another sustained over a period of several months will change the way people think about future price increases and make them more likely to go into their boss's office and demand a raise. And I think the answer at this point is we don't know. And so this goes back to kind of what Connor Sen was arguing, that it's not just an imbalance in supply and demand that causes prices to spike or drop. There's also a psychological effect. And so if people just adapt their behavior for a short period of time, then what's going to end up happening if they say, okay, I'm not going to consume that product. Then those product prices will have to drop to get those consumers back. But if people say, well, you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm okay with paying that much for lumber or pay that much to go out to dinner or for food or for cars, whatever it may be, then prices will stay elevated. And what Strain is talking about is if people go to their bosses and say, hey, I need more money because the cost of living is going up, that in turn will sort of solidify those prices and also create an inflation of itself because as labor costs go up, that means the costs go up for companies and prices will then have to rise. So it's not just always supply and demand, but the good news, you know, the, I mean, obviously the bad news is we don't know what's going to happen, but the good news is things are trending in the right direction. So let's hope that that stays because lower prices in lumber are good for everyone. They're good for home builders. They're good for home uh, buyers. They're good for renovators. They're good for do-it-yourselfers. They're good for house flippers. They're really good for everyone, I guess, unless you're a homeowner (laughs) and maybe you're looking to sell. They're the only people that benefit because it does make the uh, older house maybe more attractive and affordable. So that's really the only person that benefits. But guess what? Homeowners have been benefiting for a while now. (laughs) Maybe it's time for everyone else to see a little bit of a benefit. And that may be true. That may be coming true. So Prashant Gopal, or Gopal, let me see if I pronounce that again. Hold on. Prashant Gopal. I think I'll go with that one. Over at Bloomberg writes that more homeowners are deciding to cash in on this housing frenzy that, of course, has taken over the country. More homes are on the market, and they saw their biggest increase 
since COVID-19 lockdowns took hold in 2020. The number of U.S. homes for sale climbed 6.7% in early June from the same weekly period in May. This according to House, an investment platform for home buyers. Now, we're going to get some data later this week. I actually think what's coming out today? New residential sales. And I think we're also going to be getting uh, inventory levels. It's either this week or next week. No, no, I think it's next week. Sorry, next week. This week, we're getting sales data uh, this week. And today, I think we're getting new residential sales from the National Association of Realtors. I probably should know this a little better. I'll look at it later today. But so we will be getting some data. But right now, it does seem as if more houses are going on in the market. People have finally found their price point. They're like, that's it. We're listing this house. Now, there is still a long way to go as inventory is still down almost 38% from a year earlier and remains at historic lows. However, with bidding wars erupting from coast to coast, any increase in supply is going to be welcomed, just absolutely welcomed by realtors and home and wannabe home buyers. Uh, there is no doubt about that. Now, like I said, this is good news for any wannabe home buyers. More homes entering the market should also cool off price spikes. Ralph McLaughlin, chief economist at House, said he expects U.S. home price growth to slow less than 10% by the end of the year. Demand may cool as buyers are priced out, especially if borrowing costs begin to rise, which let's face it, we've seen the Fed kind of shake things up with the markets. Could we see mortgage rates go higher? Yeah, I think that most people are projecting that. I don't think anyone's projecting mortgage rates to drop. So yeah, all of these factors could lead to things cooling off. But once again, we're not talking crash and we're not even talking a downturn. We're just talking a slowdown. That's all that we're talking about. A cooling off. So instead of 20% year over year growth, 9%, which 9% is still pretty good. If you had an investment advisor and they were giving you 9% returns every year, you'd be pretty happy. <laughs> so 9% is still uh, nothing to laugh at, I would say. And uh, before we run out of time, let's talk about the real housing crisis. So if you've listened to this podcast, if you read my newsletter, the foreclosure crisis that was a completely made up crisis that took all the attention away from, in my opinion, the real crisis, or, or I should say they got lumped in together when they were in nowhere near the same situation. So home loans in forbearance peaked in May of 2020 at 4.3 million. And this got so much attention. Oh my gosh, 4.3 million homes are in forbearance. And this was, of course, leading us to believe that, oh no, all these homes were going to get foreclosed on in 2008 was upon us once again. Oh no. But in reality, that wasn't going to be the case. People were taking advantage of a program that was available in a lot of cases. And we've seen that as we move forward. In fact, the latest data shows actually came out yesterday shows that now homes in forbearance are under 2 million, under 2 million. And we know that only 1.7 million homes in the entire country are underwater. So yeah, this idea that there's going to be a foreclosure crisis is, has always been a made up crisis, but there is a real crisis. And that of course is renters. So 4.3 million homes got a lot of attention, but the bigger number 
and continues to be a bigger number, 10 million people at the end of the year were behind on their rent. And while that number has dropped, it's still 6 million. 6 million people are behind on their rent according to the latest census data. CBS News reported on this yesterday. Now, complicating matters is that rents are rising at the fastest clip in over 15 years. CoreLogic reported earlier this month that April 2021 data shows a national rent increase of 5.3% year over year up from a 2.4% year over year increase in April of 2020. Now, the only somewhat silver lining that exists is that not all rental properties are created equal. CoreLogic found that, yeah, single family detached properties are increasing in cost far more than attached multifamily. They wrote, as demand for more space and outdoor amenities remains, detached rentals in particular are experiencing accelerated growth with 7.9% year-over-year increases in April compared to growth of just 2.2% annually for attached rentals. So policymakers have been wasting a lot of time on the foreclosure crisis. I'm hoping they have enough energy in time to react to the real crisis, which is the eviction crisis. And listen, the solution is not, oh, well, we're just going to stop allowing evictions. No, because then landlords find themselves in a horrible situation. So what we got to do is find a way to help these people and also allow them to negotiate with their landlords. Because if there are people who are in, say, lower income, attached multifamily properties, they should be able to work something out because if you kick those people out, there's just not a lot of demand for those type of properties. And if there are people who are in the high demand properties, maybe there's a way that we can move them out and find another rental um, unit for them to find their way into. But that's what we need to be focusing on. The foreclosure crisis was always blown out of proportion. This is the real issue they need to be working on. And like I said, I hope they didn't waste too much time and energy on the made up one, because this is a real one that needs to be dealt with. And like I said, the solution is not, oh, well, we'll just keep banning evictions because no landlords are going to be the ones that are in trouble. So they go belly up. Someone buys the company. You you, got to pay someone at some point. So we got to figure out what is causing people to miss their rent and how we can get money to them and they can stay in their property. That needs to be dealt with. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your Tuesday. We'll be back here on Wednesday morning. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.